Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I've got Rick Hale on with me. And I have such a soft spot in my heart for this guy. Um, You know, I don't know, a few months ago, I had the opportunity um, with my son to to go spend some time with Rick and his family at their lake house. And my heart was just expanded during that time. Just such a great um, time, a great time to get away with with my son, but then just the way that they opened up their home. And, um, you know, I've known Rick for a couple years now through GoBundance, which we talk about a lot. But any time that you can, you know, get invited into someone's home, you really see um, what you what 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 you thought you were going to see most of the time. But then it's even expanded, and my my impression and love for Rick was just expanded during that time. And just such a, an amazing family. I'm really excited to have Rick on here because I think Rick exemplifies something that's really important to me. And his compass and his north star is pretty strong. Um, none of us are perfect, but at the end of the day, I've, I've always realized that Rick, uh, he's really clear on what he wants and, and, and he's pretty focused on that and has had a ton of success too. But when you, when you look at just the way he shows up in life and his friendships and, and the things around him, it's something that I really look up to. So Rick, I appreciate having you on the show. And I think my guests are really going to enjoy talking to you or listening to you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, it's an honor to be here, Mike. You're a special guy. There's no question about it. And what you bring to the world aligns well with who I want to be and become. So that's why I think our synergy is so good. So thank you for the kind words and back at you. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. And uh, we were joking before we started recording and um, we're, you know, we're going to post Rick's lake house address so that you guys can all join him because he's an amazing cook and so is his wife. And <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know. We're, we're, they're, they're building a cottage there that I've nicknamed the Ayala cottage. Cause I, I like took claim to it, but um, anyway, yeah, it's just, just an amazing place. Yeah. So Rick, let's dive into the questions. Um, who's had the greatest impact on your life? Um, you know, there's not like one person, but you know, what's interesting. I think every season there's probably somebody that really puts their DNA into your world and shows up in a way that makes you better or helps you recognize things about you. You want to either, um, embellish and improve or change. And, um, I'd say, you know, I spent when I was 12 years old, I spent a year in military school and it was a really sad year for me because I had three, you know, my mom and dad had been married and divorced to two or three different people each. And, and there was just a weird phase in life where I ended up, you know, where nobody really had space for me. And at 12, I was, I felt vulnerable and, um, and to go away to a boarding school, really part of me, you know, believes that it was the greatest thing that's ever happened. And then there's a piece of me that recognizes it wasn't happy for a while. And so when you say impact on my life, I'd come out of that season and my mother was dating an international business guy who was doing offshore corporations and she was living in Aruba and I visited for Thanksgiving and his commitment, we, we became fast friends and he was this single guy just doing international business and creating deals. And, um, he came at the perfect time where I really need someone to just care about me and, and give me hope. 
And his commitment to me was that if I finished the school year strong, that I could come back and live with him and his parents. Mm. And, uh, and he still, he had a vacation home, but he, his parents were, you know, he traveled a lot. So I ended up living with a Polish family in, in Massachusetts and for seventh and eighth grade. So 13 and 14. And the impact he made on me was the impression of, you know, was undeniably amazing. And, um, although back to your point earlier, there's nothing that's perfect and he wasn't perfect. And in fact, ended up, um, in trouble with the law over, you know, the semantics of uh, tax and there's a whole bunch of things that happened, but that season, he opened my eyes to a few things. One, the world is bigger than my circumstance Mm. and that staying positive and hope is a beautiful thing. And he gave me hope and he helped me see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think, you know, I love the Zig Ziglar statement that, you know, how do you know when someone needs um, an uplifting statement or needs encouragement? And the answer is they're breathing. Mm. And as a kid, I was so, you know, just vulnerable, I think, to lots of influence. And thankfully, this fellow showed up. His name was Jeff. He showed up at a time when... um, I needed some real positivity. He also helped me understand the power of money and the power of thinking big and uh, outside the box. And so those were probably the biggest lessons, stability, love, and then thinking outside the box. And again, I spent a couple of years with his family and it was the first stable family I'd had in a, in a while where I really felt grounded and connected. You know, um, I've, I've watched you and you spend a lot of time with, with charity and, you know, you, you often tell stories about, you know, families that you actually bring out to the lake house and spend time with. And do you think that some of, is that why you do that? I've often wondered like, you know, Rick's heart's just so big. Is it, does it stem from that or is there, is there more to that? No, it does a direct correlation because what I've learned and even watching my kids, man, the right thing at the right time can change everything. When I say the right thing, I mean, circumstances or the right experience or the right rite of passage, Mm -hmm. or just, you know, sometimes it's as simple as somebody you respect and love telling you you're okay Mm -hmm. and that you're good or that you're capable. And because I had that happen at a time where I'm not sure I knew I was okay or that I was good. I didn't feel a lot of love truthfully for myself or for my family. And, and again, they weren't bad people they were just in weird circumstances and somewhere in their minds they thought that going to a boarding school would make me a better human being and in the end it was I think they were right it's just not the path it didn't work the way I think they thought it would work Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't I left out the part where I was failing all of my classes and hated everything (laughs) until the day Jeff told me that I could come live there if I got good grades Mm -hmm. I think third quarter I was cadet of the month and had straight A's so you know we all have our love language and our fuel and mine is I also learned about me that I love achieving and for the right reasons and uh so yeah, that was pretty impactful. And I just also realized in other kids, you know, and the kids I, I really, really want to serve and I'm working towards is uh, supporting kids in homeless situations, you know, single women with kids and, mm. you know, fatherless situations too. I have some friends that run some amazing nonprofits in Atlanta that tailor, you know, the effort and focus is directly on that group and it, it's inspiring. And, and there's a lot of hope in me that I could give the gift that was given to me. Man, it's, uh, it, it's probably apparent already, you know, for our listeners and our audience, but just, this is why I love being around Rick. They just, I was listening to you a few minutes ago and I, when I'm with you, like it, I, I feel like everything's going to be okay. And you said it, but it's like part of your DNA. And that guy actually, you know, taught you that the world is bigger than your circumstances, but you've, you've, you've become that person and you emanate that out into the world. And I so appreciate you for that. Um, don't you guys just love him? I mean, (laughs) this is awesome. I, 
Hey, I have lots of flaws. We should talk about those too. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) But but I do have a heart for service and I have a heart for, you know, becoming my best. And, you know, one of the conversations I have with myself is what is the real driver or motivator behind that passion for self-development and giving back. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it's an interesting dynamic when you stop and really look inside your soul and your heart, you know, how much of this is ego or am I trying to prove something? Am I trying to impress someone? And, and, you know, hopefully the answer is no, it's really just because, you know, higher powers put us here for purpose. Mm-hmm. And when you realize it, it's, it's invigorating. And then the scary part is living into that real story. If you really want it and you really see it, you, then you have to have the courage to act on it. And I'm in that phase now where I'm trying to find outlets and, and opportunity. Yeah. And for the listeners, you know, I, um, obviously when, when we have guests like you on the show, we're, we're talking about, you know, lessons learned and tips and tricks and, you know, secrets to your success and all that. But a lot of times, um, you know, the other side of that does come up, but what I really want to point out, uh, and you just said this, I mean, um, it's, there, there's like, there's that book by Ryan holiday, ego is the enemy. And I think people like Rick, like you spend so much time working on yourself. Um, of course we're not perfect. And of course there's negativity, but if one of the success habits that I've really seen having so many guests, we're, we're at episode like 75 now, which is crazy. That's um, awesome. But yeah, one thing that I've seen over and over is, um, you know, the humility, the, the humility is almost always there. And I think a lot of this is because, you know, I've watched you with this, but we've been in rooms where we're doing some deep work and the more success people have, I think that comes from the amount of deep work that they've done. And, and you'll always see that humility in guys like Rick, just, you know, pointing out the, <laughs> the flaws and everything else. But I think it's because we spend so much time working through our crap that, um, it's still there. It still exists, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. You've done some amazing things. So if you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? That's a great question. And I don't know that there's one thing other than a willingness to take chances and, and embrace my journey. I think, I think the saddest thing on the on earth is to have big ideas and then never really know if they're fathomable or possible. Mm. And so I'd say in my world, I figured out early on, you know, my first job, really my second real job, but I was in college was knocking doors and uh, I found out things about myself that really revealed my gifts or my talent. And one was connecting with people. And when you knock a hundred doors a night, trying to sell subscriptions to the newspaper, it's not glamorous, but you know, I'd sell five, six, maybe out of a hundred, the conversion ratio was terrible, but those five or six was amazing. When they'd invite you in and all of a sudden want to know your story and you'd ask their story and you, you could peer into kind of like you said, when you break bread or, or invited into someone's home, the dynamic of the relationship changes. And, um, I just think that I realized early on, I, I, I have this ability to connect and morph. And if whatever your gift is, that's your superpower. I think, you know, two things happen. If you don't exhibit or, or exercise that superpower, I think it turns cancerous and it'll eat you. And it's like, you, you got to go use it. And once you get it, you've got to find a career path that feeds and fuels it so that, that every day is not drudgery. It becomes part of your natural state or you're kind of symbiotically connected to your, your flow. You, everyone's heard the term flow. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's people. And I get energy from people. I get energy teaching. I get energy um, learning for the purpose of teaching and giving it away. I don't think you can give away what you don't have. And so back to that self-discovery of, you know, I'm only as good as my, you know, what I have inside my heart and mind. And so why not make that the best it can be intentionally? Mm, That's so good, man. 
Yeah. What was your greatest setback? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but it has to be intentional. I mean, it's easy to get caught up on Netflix and other shows that are like never ending 17 series, you know, 400 episodes. And I've been there and you just kind of go, all right, what's my space interval, my pattern interrupt, or maybe, you know, I live and die by my day planner. You were laughing at me because it's still, I have a huge eight by 10 (laughs) paper day planner and it's the week at a glance, but man, I can tell you, it invigorates me to know that I've stacked up all the good stuff in advance of a week Mm -hmm. and, you know, built into that has to be self-development strategies and an investment financially and an investment time. And, you know, we're the average of the three to five people we spend the most time with. So, making sure that you've, you've gone inner circle with the people that matter first and mm. let the rest be. So that's good. Yeah. I like it. The ability to connect on a deep level. That's powerful. What was your greatest setback, Rick? And what did you learn from it? You know, it's funny because I've been blessed. Like I don't have like this long list of like failures. I, I think it, again, back to that, I know what I'm good at and I really work hard to be as the best at what I'm best at. You know, the best at anything out earns the rest, like by a tremendous percentage difference. Um, you could be a basket weaver and if you're the best of the best and create, uh, you know, model systems or a tool or a, a you know, web channel, you're going to, you're, you're probably going to crush it, but you have to be in the top two or 3%. And for me, I love real estate. I love sales. I like building teams that all played out well. Um, I mean, I've had failures for sure. And I've had failures with, you know, relational failures and I've had, um, but I'd say the biggest one was thinking I knew more than I did about the market early on and thinking that, you know, one of the, my dad said this once, he said, son, you, you, you have a distinct lack of failure in your life. And he shared this with me when I was 25 or six and I just bought a house. I had a car, I had a motorcycle. I was in a band. I had long hair. I was living this life that I thought was like, I'm a badass. This is good. And it was all superficial. That's the funny part. As I look over my shoulder i'm almost embarrassed to say it but you know among my peer group at 25 it looked like i was crushing it and he broke my heart when he shared that you know wisdom and the wisdom was you know you have a distinct lack of failure and what and at first i took offense and then when i let it seep in and really hit my core i realized what he's really saying is i hadn't fully explored my potential and i was playing safe Mm. and so it wasn't soon you know soon thereafter I, i switched from a corporate job to straight commission, real estate sales. And then it was only a few short years later that I opened my first real estate brokerage. And, you know, at one point, I I think I had 1200 agents and we did 3 billion in volume and all the cool stuff, but it's, you know, the power of team and taking a risk. I will say, so I'll answer your specific question. I did an investment deal in 2006 that rolled into seven. If anybody remembers 2007, it rolled into eight. And if you remember eight, that's when it hit the fan yeah. and uh, I was into it about 2.2 million. And I learned a really good lesson around contracts and around bank, you know, documents and loan docs. We signed a document as a partner. We were, you know, and I was just an investor in the deal. I wasn't really working the deal. It was an assemblage of houses into lots in a burgeoning area that when the market shifted, it became less burgeoning. Mm. <laughs> it, it went back to being the slum <laughs> that it started out as we, we were hopeful. And, uh, in the end, man, there were, I was hit with uh, the debt. And so there's, there's language jointly and severably that was in there that later my banker and their lawyer made me aware of as we were defaulting that I was on the hook for the entire debt, even though there were actually three of us in the initial investment. Mm. And so the total liability was just, just under 2.5 million. And uh, I woke up with uh, 
a, you know, basically a judgment for two and a half million dollars. And it was a time when real estate brokerage was not flourishing. Obviously, uh, the market was tanking and it was a challenging season to wake up not knowing that my finance, you know, all uh, 10 years of building, you know, was in the balance and potentially about to go to zero or negative number in my credibility, my ability to borrow. There were deals galore, as you know, in the, that next three or four year run. And, and I, I had nothing to show for it other than a massive, you know, hole in my credit mm. and a financial. I had to, I remember writing, a, it was a, I paid my way through it. We did the right thing. We settled and I ended up selling it. No commission. Um, the people that bought it, of course, now crushed it because their timing was better than mine. Mm. Um, but I wrote a hundred thousand dollar check, you know, and it, it was, it, I've had friends, you know, and people that know, you know, say, well, that, that must've been awful. And I'm, and you know, the funny part, it was the most liberating, awesome, most awesome day I can remember in my business life, because it was the day I bought back my freedom and my, that mindset of capacity again, and that no one can hold me down now. I'm just going to play a little smarter. So I, I learned some lessons along the way, who you partner with matters and, you know, don't think you know more than you do. And it's, it's often best not to be the smartest guy in the room, Mm. especially when it's self-professed. You know, there's, there's just such an interesting package. I want to open there just a little bit because it's funny. And this is a recurring theme that I see, you know, with guests on the show. I had a guest on earlier today that's actually going to air after your show, but um, you know, just talking about the, the, the greatest setbacks. And a lot of times, you know, as, as people like people in your shoes that have worked through so much and, and you're, you're constantly trying to focus on the good in life and, and find the value in everything. It's funny how many times, like it takes a little bit of time to really, um, not talk about our setbacks. Cause it's, you're an open book. I mean, you're, you're always open and honest, but to really have to dig in there to find the negativity because we work so hard that, that was, you learned a ton from that and you moved on from it and you took away the experiences and the examples and it made you a better investor and it made you a better real estate person and it probably made you just a better person. And Maybe. so sometimes we don't look at those as setbacks. And so the question is a little um, intriguing at times because it takes a little bit to really look at that as a setback. You don't probably don't see it as a setback really. I mean, in that moment it was yeah, just because totally. I was in a precarious spot where literally everything I owned was up for grabs. I mean, you've probably never had a judgment levy that went through personally, but they can raid your accounts. They can literally start skimming your, your, ch- I was, I was on the verge of trying to figure out how I could move money to other States to, or, you know, how do I cash out of things and have it under my mattress? And mm-hmm. so there was a season of uncertainty where I was genuinely I had an element of fear and, you know, and, the, and, and then my core business, again, the real estate mm. brokerage business, lots of uncertainties, man. I was losing, we went, one of my offices had 190 agents in it and it went to 60 mm. inside of about nine months. And uh, that's a massive unexpected detriment too. Yeah. But I agree with you. One, I think a trait of successful people, it's a common theme for sure, is that you convert all of that into silver linings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we came out of it, I became a much better broker. I became a much better advisor and counselor. When people come and say, you know, they'd ask, what do I, I want to develop? I want to build. I want to, I'm like, well, here are some things you don't want to do. Like if you were going to script a failed scenario, Mm -hmm. I can speak with integrity Mm -hmm. and you know, it's not hypothetical and it's not textbook knowledge that you often learn in college. So that's the silver lining. I feel like life's lessons prepare you for a bigger opportunity. 
So and without those, you're going to miss it or, you know, maybe you fail when it really, really matters. And at the end of the day, does it really, really matter? I mean, how many people do you know that have, you know, that are, you, you look at how many, you know, even Thomas Edison figured out what, 900 ways not to invent the light bulb. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just keep leaning in head down lack of, you know, I think a lack of failure in your life probably indicates a very underachieving um, self image and potentially attached to your self-worth. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to something that you said in the previous answer, you know, a willingness to take chances and embrace the journey. That was one thing that you said, you know, you could kind of narrow your success down to that. And that's so valuable because I think, um, I've been having this conversation a lot lately. I keep finding it coming up. And I think the first time I heard it was actually at the champions event where you and I were together, um, in Austin a few weeks back, but well, it's been two months or something now. It was like yesterday. Yeah. Um, somebody there, I believe it was at that event. It might've even been you said that fear and faith can't exist together at the same time. Do you remember yeah. hearing that? I do remember that. Yeah. And it's been such like a, I just keep finding that ringing and just bringing it back to what you're talking about right now. Like so many people would hear your story and, and, and be gripped with fear. And by the way, I know you don't want to go back through that again ever. And I, I understand that. But at the same time, so many people are, are frozen and they're just, they're, they live in fear. And so fear and faith can't exist at the same time. And what you said, a willingness to take chances and embrace the journey. I don't want to live a life where I didn't, you know, I wake up 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the road. And I realize I left so much on the table because I was being driven by fear. And yeah. that's like all this tied together is just so enlightening and empowering to me. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that. Happy to. And, you know, I love the uh, concept of playing the what if game and the what if game for me is just a a blank sheet of paper and some sacred space that's not, you know, full of noise and just play the what if game and figure out holistically, like every aspect of your life. What if it were a 10 out of 10? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think that's um, I think it's a noble goal and pursuit to have 10 out of 10s, but I don't think it's a reasonable human experience for most of us, you know, but the, the idea of what if puts you somewhere between here and there and here and there may be glorious. And, you know, it's about progress and not perfection. And it's about intentionality and, Failing forward is part of the equation. I don't know anybody that has massive wealth that can't stack up a lot of failure. And I'm, I've had them, but to your point, it's interesting. I, I don't know that I've stopped and really owned the fact that my failures are part of the success path. And I don't label them as failures. I label them, they're an experience. They're a moment. You know, yep. it was just, it was a, a step closer to what I ultimately wanted. And I learned it door to door. If I was 50 doors into a night, I knew I was five doors away from two or three opportunities yeah. because the law of averages just favors the person who keeps trudging along the journey with intentional energy. Yeah. I love the way that you said that, you know, you don't really look at them as failures um, because you're looking at, you know, that, well, I think John Maxwell wrote a book called Failing Forward and you're right. So many successful people have had so many, that's kind of why I term it as the greatest setback because I mean, obviously 06 went into seven and seven went into eight and then you get, you know, that, that set you back a little bit, but you don't see it necessarily as a failure. Um, It made you a much better person. It's so amazing. What a story. Well, when the market shifted, so we pivoted, that's the other part of it. If you're, if you're cognizant and you're you're a student of the game, um, I quickly realized that foreclosures were the you know was the real bread and butter of that season, and so my team dialed up a lot of intentional energy behind Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and we were selling where we were selling a hundred houses a year. Just my personal sales team, we elevated to five, over five hundred sales two years in a row. Mm. So that was towards the end of the shift, but 
those were two of my best years in that quadrant. And again, it kind of, even the, the holistic approach to life, you're not going to win in every quadrant. You just don't want to deny all of them at the same time, nor stay in one so long that you forget the importance of that balance piece. Mm-hmm. And like so, that. but there we pivoted and, and it turned out to be, you know, again, if that market hadn't done what it did, I, pro- I wouldn't have the expertise with foreclosures and investment properties that I earned, mm-hmm. you know, the old fashioned way, you know, with bumps and bruises. Yeah. I love it. What is the single piece of advice you find yourself sharing with people the most? I've alluded to it a second ago. It's time or money. You know, we chase time, we chase money and you can exchange money for time and buy back freedom with leverage and building a powerful team around you. But it seems like these days we've had most everybody, um, and I, COVID excluded, I recognize this year's not been favorable for everybody. And COVID's a weird thing. And it, in March, it almost felt like my mom told me, go to your room, your dad's going to deal with you later. And I'm sitting in my room waiting on what's perceived a whipping. And I'm not even sure what I did wrong. I'm like, <laughs> I feel it coming. It's coming. Yeah. And then dad walks in and gives me a hug instead and tells me I'm great. And, mm. you know, that's a made up story that just landed in my head and heart an hour ago. I'm, somebody was asking me how this year went. I go, that's how it felt on the front end and the gift in this year has been amazing for me. And I have to be careful. I have to watch myself and trying to tell everybody this has been a great year because mm-hmm. it's not, and not everybody's had the, the, you know, for me, it's been a blessing. Um, it's been a blessing. I've reconnected with family at an extremely high level, spent more time outdoors than I ever have. I've learned to take advantage of technology like this you know, zoom and connected, you know, even from afar and in some ways it's better, some ways it's not, but, um, it's been a good year. Um, so remind me of the exact question. I think I took Um, a left turn. The piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's, it's meeting people where they are and trying to find out what they, you know, that, so it does tie together. I lost my train of thought. And so the, it's usually about figuring out their counterbalance, purposeful self. It's usually, you know, they're good at something. So people tend to do what they're great at a lot. And then they deny the things that take work and effort to really create a holistic you. Mm-hmm. And when I, what I mean is, and we've talked about this, I have a workshop I do called your perfect future self. And it's designed to help you craft a five-year vision of not just business success, not just self-development success, but all aspects of a healthy big life. And it includes spiritual, it includes physical, it includes travel, recreation, family, friends. It includes um, business, of course, and finances and retirement. And and anyway, it's a really cool way. You rate yourself one to 10 on this wheel and then you figure out where you are. And, And I've shared this too, that GPS, you know, it only works when you have two coordinates. And so step one of, for anyone's journey and and to answer the question specifically is that people aren't aware of where they are. Mm -hmm. And they also don't recognize the full extent of the disconnect between where they want to be. And so when I consult people often, it's, it starts with what they think it's going to be is about how can I make more money or build something bigger or better. It ultimately ends up being a conversation around how do I have a more fulfilling experience while on this planet? And the only way I know to do it is to break it down into bite-sized pieces and then build, you know, that awareness into a plan that is holistic, that's intention-based, that's, you know, how do I really want to feel when it's my last breath? Probably won't be clutching my spreadsheets around, you know, my empire or my, you know, anything business related. And so make sure that in your 
mission to to fulfill certain quadrants the others don't get ditched or lost and you wake up with regret i mean isn't the greatest gift on on this earth anyway at least a version of of minimal regret i don't know that anyone can live without regret i mean we've all said or done something that didn't play out as we thought and but it's not what happens it's what you do with it so i find you know the the way i help people the most is help them recognize and kind of open up the lens and see it a little bit bigger and broader I love it. And, you know, there's a lot of alignments in, in the way Rick lives and operates and, and I do too. And I talk about this all the time at investing for freedom, but just a five part, you know, questioning series that I go through over and over, but what do you really want? Why do you want it? What are you going to do to get it measure results and adjust? And I think the adjusting is so important. And you said this, um, because what do you really want? I think a lot of times when we start really working through this process, what we think we want and what we actually want are not always the same thing. And they could be Mm -hmm. completely disconnected. And you were talking about that, you know, as you first start talking with people um, in this workshop or through the process, a lot of times they think it's about money. I think that's how you said it. And there's really some deeper drivers there, right? For sure. So on the wheel... on the wheel of life, that's kind of like 10 areas that you focus on. Is that true? There's 12 total. Okay. And yeah. And money is one of them. And it, I think it's important. I mean, you can't have a big life without funding a big life. Yep. Um, but I've also early on, I figured out money only matters when you don't have enough to do or have the things you really hold, you know, value in. And wow. I've also had many nice things and I've had less, you know, amazing cars as an example. And ultimately I bored, I've become bored with all of it. Eventually it's just, the pursuit is the fun part. Mm-hmm. And so be careful what you're chasing and make sure that when you get there, you know, you're not either alone or not fulfilled again in, in what you thought it was going to be. Nice. I like it. So you were talking a, a concept about, you know, how many people can you bring into the umbrella? This is one thing that I love about, you know, spending time with Rick Hale, cause he's always just bringing people along. And I, I had the opportunity to be on your, your show, which is real estate rock stars, right? Yeah. Rock stars in action. And that's, that's just your people, right? That's not a show that goes out to the world, right? It's just for my people. Yeah. It's a special, what I'm trying to do is feed big fish, big fish food or people that want to grow into something bigger with inspired people like you, who've, you know, kind of walked the walk, done the journey and, you know, make it real. Hmm. You know, it's hard to project a successful end game until you see yourself actually living it and, and the vicarious piece. I think of role modeling is, is extremely powerful. I've had some amazing people in my life that I literally just, it's like baking a cake. If you know the ingredients, the time, the size, you know, the pan size, the amount of, and you just follow the the directions, you, you'll end up with a great cake nine out of 10 times. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think like life doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. I love and so it. that's why I created the show to bring people like you to go, Hey, so what, you know, if, what do you want and why, and who's done it that you could emulate? Yeah. Um, just thinking through this a little bit and knowing, knowing you and your experience and what you've been through, nobody has a crystal ball. Um, and you know, I have people on the show from all walks of life and all theories and, you know, from the skies falling to, you know, we're just going to keep printing money forever and everything's going to be fine. Obviously the real estate market is on fire, right? I'm, is Atlanta still just crazy? It's out of control, man. The problem is there's not enough inventory, but what it is for sale sells quickly and there's usually multiple offers. And um, yeah, it's been good. Again, if you told me in January or February or even you know March was when it really hit home for me, 
um, that we would finish the year on par with last year and in some cases beat it. I, it's just unfathomable to me, but it's on some level kind of a weird, perfect storm. Mm-hmm. So what's you your, know? and again, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not looking for the crystal ball, but what's like your, I mean, you're an optimist on real estate and your team's on fire. It's going well. Inventory's low. They're not building fast enough. What, like, I guess, number one, what's driving this? And number two, is this, do you see this slowing down anytime soon? Or are we going to have a few couple good years? I mean, I think we've got a couple more good years before something settles. I mean, it's common that cycles happen eight to 10 years and we're about eight years into this cycle. So it's, uh, Historically, it's got to happen and things have to reset. I think affordability is probably the number one driver for our local real estate market. Um, supply and demand always reigns supreme and then supported by affordability because that affects you know the ability for the number of buyers relative to inventory. Um, and as it stands, a few things are favoring us. One, interest rates are insanely low. I just cash out, refied the lake house, in fact, to build the Ayala cottage. <laughs> and um, I locked down a 30 year fix for like 2.8. I mean, that's stupid. Like that, that's amazing. And, and I didn't need to do it. I had cash in the bank. I could just write a check, but um, why not leverage the system and maximize ROI and put that money to work in income producing areas. And so I, I do see um, a shift in the way people, work the workplace perspective and i think some companies where people you know historically felt they had to come into work we're learning to operate differently and that may affect the commercial landscape in fact it is already you know giving back space and subleasing space is starting to become a little more prevalent here in atlanta but um the advantage we have in our market area is also immigration we've got roughly 50, 60,000 people a year that move to Atlanta and they've got to live somewhere. So whether it's rental or owned, the variable really is available money and the the way the world sees credit and capacity. Um, the last piece of the equation that, you know, there's a lot of political energy going on right now and, um, you know, some racial unrest. I mean, there's a lot, this is a complicated season, I think, when the hearts and minds of most people who are paying attention. Um, but I think we do settle on some of that energy. And I think consumer confidence with the vaccine changes. And, uh, and the interesting thing is consumer confidence, I thought was what was gonna, would lock up the markets this year, where everybody would just say, all right, it's like freeze tag. Um, I'm going to wait and see what happens, hold it. And then I'll play it out. But people, you know, part of what the gift and what's happened by spending more time at home, they're starting to recognize the power of a beautiful environment to connect with the people they love. And people are making lots of quality of life moves and they're, you know, if I'm going to spend more time here, I want a pool. If I'm going to spend more time here, I'm going to get what I really wanted because, you know, it's not just a stop and go sleeping spot. And that's part of it. Yeah. And um, it's, it's interesting too, because I think sometimes when we start talking about the real estate market, we, or any market for that matter, we, we think of it in terms of like a macro conversation. Right. But I've been reading a lot and really trying to keep a pulse on this. Um, as you know, we're in the mobile home park investing space and our applications are double and there's more money chasing mobile home parks right now. Rick, this is no joke. We bought a portfolio of parks last October. So just a little bit, we closed a little bit over a year ago. And we just got a broker's opinion and evaluation of double what we paid for it. Now that's not normal and that's not common. Mm -hmm. And I'm like really questioning why and if this is even legit, but we're seeing, we're seeing three and a half percent cap rates in the mobile home park space. Like that's crazy. And so when we think about real estate, we generally think about it in terms of macro conversations, but even just thinking about Atlanta or certain pockets, and there are a lot of real estate investors that listen to my show and up and coming um, people that want to get into real estate investing. And so 
I, I wonder if you agree with this. I think we have to be really careful about macro conversations right now and get into micro economies. Cause even like Atlanta, it's a big Metro, but there's 100%. a lot of people moving there, but then there's other metros where people are f- just flying out too, right? So are you seeing yeah. exodus in Atlanta or influx? Influx, man. I feel like Atlanta still got tremendous upside. I feel like the quality of life we have here, the um, we're extremely balanced demographically. There's lots of diversity. There's also art, music. We've got great um, sports and, you know, parks. And it's it's a real green city, you know. It's just, and the seasons, we have real distinct seasons, but they're not devastatingly painful when they, you know, some people claim the hot's too hot, but I'm used to it. Um, but our cold, by the time you're tired of cold, spring hits and you, you, know, you have that 70 degree, perfect, you know, sunny spring day in March. And so I think there's so much here that that's a magnet for opportunity, but even inside of it, you make a great point, Mike, that micro markets are still the, the remember the deal that went South on me, the $2 million, $2.5 million um, failure. Um, it, I bought just outside of the obvious purchase. And so when the market shifts, just be careful, the concentric circle that looks like the next best thing mm. when you're not certain and you're a little more bearish, you should be careful. And I would be more laser focused on your micro market and know that you've got a safety net somewhere and that all of a sudden it doesn't become, you know, the, the, the prize cow. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting time. And and that's why I think having conversations like this and just expanding your, your, your network is so important and listening to different viewpoints because we've sat at tables where um, even within our go abundance circle, there's 10 different opinions, right. On whether it's the Fed or whether it's Wall Street or whether it's real estate. Um, so it's really important to have these conversations. Yeah. And I just saw a well, report that 20, 23% of the influx in Arizona is coming from California over the last 12 months. And yeah, they're wrong. Yeah. And I, I thought like, it's just crazy. And like you said, you know, COVID has really, um, it's created opportunities, but it's also disrupted a lot and created a lot of disruption in a, in a good way and a bad way. And so there's just a lot to think through and, I can't appreciate guys like you enough to be able to have these types of conversations and, and, and just have the mirror. Um, you know, the Bible says there's multitude or there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And so just having your insight um, is powerful. So I've had several conversations with friends of mine that are in the Atlanta market and just talking about great things. So if somebody wanted, if somebody's considering the Atlanta market, I mean, you're, you're the guy, right? Well, your team is the team. If it's not me, I know the guy. Yeah. So, you know, I love the idea of not always being the source, but an incredible resource. So certainly I've got an amazing alliance of of people. We, my group alone, again, we have almost 1200 agents in seven locations and, and I've got investments in other, you know, groups too. Um, I did want to add one thing, by the way, just to close out the topic before it also matters whether you're short or long-term and whether your cash flows, you know, is it a cash flow decision or equity play? You know, I I don't know many real estate deals that if you project out 10 to 15 years that you don't win no matter what, even if it's just paying off the mortgage and and become, you know, you've got a debt-free asset and a form of forced savings. So just pay attention to what is the real outcome and goal you're after and will desperation create a panic sale. And if you can avoid that, you know, what do they say? The, the best two times to buy real estate is yesterday and today (laughs) in the past and now. (laughs) I I love that. And, you know, even for people I've, I've found myself having this conversation a lot recently. Inventory is low. Interest rates are low. I think a lot of people I'd be interested in your take on this that maybe weren't buyers for, you know, they were thinking, Hey, we're going to rent an apartment or 
stay in our rental for another year. I've had a lot of conversations with people that have moved their search for a home up. And I think that's why we're seeing an influx on the manufactured housing side even is because people that were living in apartments, they're on the third floor of an apartment building. They're stuck at home with their kids who they're having to tell to be quiet all day. They can't go outside and play on the playground. I think that's created even more demand. And so I've had, this, this is the, you bring up such a good point. When my wife and I built this house, um, we moved in in January of 2018. I told my wife then when we went under contract six months before that, as long as we're going to stay in that house for 10 years, I'm comfortable buying it because I thought we were at the top of the market in January of 2018. Um, <laughs> so you, nobody can time the market. Nobody knows what's coming, but your wisdom was so valuable, Whether even if it's just your personal residence. As long as you can afford that payment and it's not uncomfortable and, and you're comfortable riding through, it's okay to if that's what you really want is to have your own house and that pool. And I don't think there's ever, Karen and I were thinking about selling this house because the value is like crazy now compared to even what we paid. Yeah. But when you look back at the last 12 months and having this haven and this environment where our family was able to just be together, that's super important. It is. Well, you have to determine the purpose of the investment. It goes back to the intention. You know, if your intention is to build wealth through real estate, that's awesome. But if it's co-aligned with having a more, um, family centric experience where you can, you know, draw friends and bring in and have a, a safe haven from not jumping on elevators with strangers. And, you know, you, you've got your, that's, that could be way more valuable than even, even the upside potential. But the good news is those can co-align and then it's magical. Wow. That's awesome. Well, Rick, I hope that someday you'll bring your training from outside of the umbrella and maybe turn it into like a virtual class that we could all participate in. That would be cool. Yeah, that'd be delightful. I'd love to do it. Yeah. So if anybody is interested in the Atlanta market, how do they reach out to your team? So Rick at rickhale.com is a, a good place to go to. That's uh, my, you know, and uh, where else? Email my, I'll put my cell phone out there. You're welcome to call me 404-735-4444. Um, if you're interested in brokerage in a sales career, which we've got some amazing people impacting people's lives, helping them transact sales. And it's, this is a wonderful time to be in Atlanta and have a real estate license. And, you know, you get to serve people, make a difference and uh, also find good deals and also help people find great wealth building opportunities. Um, but Heart of Atlanta Group um, is our, if you Google the Heart of Atlanta Group, Keller Williams, you'll find my group of offices. And I can certainly point you in the right direction if it's not my specific geography or, or area of expertise you're after. Well, I can tell you just, you know, having the privilege of being in your life and around you, if I was looking to move to Atlanta and I was going to be an agent, I'd want to be part of your team. Thanks. Well, we've got great models and systems at my company. I'm blessed to have, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. That's how it feels. So That's awesome. you included my man. I love what you're doing. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And, uh, any final words? Um, you know, there's two thoughts at the end of your life and this just popped into my head. This was, you know, you can say, I wish I had, or I'm glad I did, man. And I'm convicted in the belief that it's a beautiful thing when you're glad you did. So whatever's in your heart and in your mind, man, you'll never know until you do. So I wake up every day, you know, pointed towards glad I did. Wow. That's amazing. Appreciate yeah. your time, brother. Thanks for being on. All right. All right. Love you, man. Take care. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review 
and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.